The reading this morning is from the Gospel according to St. John, <clears throat> chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And this is on page 1073 in the Church Bible. In chapter 8, you'll see <clears throat> what we have to read is actually in italics because the earliest manuscripts didn't have this passage. <clears throat> then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were asking this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I'm delighted to get to come and speak on this passage. Um, I'm sure many of you may have heard uh, from this passage before. If you've been a part of church for a while, if you're new to church, uh, what's about to happen next is I'm just going to talk us through it, pull out some things that I think God might be speaking to us this morning and share them with you. Um, there's loads in this passage. It's absolutely jam-packed. Uh, I think one of my hopes uh, from this morning is that you'd come away with a real sense that the Bible is alive. We really believe that as Christians, and we believe that the Bible is living and breathing. It's God's Word, alive, speaking to us today. My hope is that you would read it, we would go through it, and you would get a sense of excitement that on every verse, in many of the stories in the Bible, there is something to glean, something new to hear from God. And that is definitely true. We do not have the time that we need to go through all of this in the detail that we could, but we're going to have a good go. Uh, why don't I pray to start us off? Father God, thank you so much that you are here with us. God, I thank you that you've got a desire to speak to us, that you're alive and we believe that, God. God, I just humbly ask that you would speak through me this morning, that everything that I've got and prepared would be of you, and if it's not, would it just fall away, God? Because we want to hear from you and what you have to say in this passage this morning. Pray that in your holy name. 
Amen. So as I said, this passage, it's packed. It's got loads of stuff. So I'm going to go through almost verse by verse. And then after I've done that, I'm going to kind of tell you a couple of things that I think is happening and ways that that can change our lives today. Again, if I, if I make the claim that we believe the Bible is alive, then this has to be impacting our lives today, doesn't it? It has to be bringing us transform, transformation today. It has to speak to us into our situations right now, into your situation right now. It has to speak to you. So we're going to have a go at that. So, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Again, there's so much in here. But I wonder what it looks like. Just straight off the bat, we've got Jesus. He's in the center of culture, in the center of town. He's in the temple, the busiest place where everyone would know. It'd be the middle of, middle of where he was at. And all the people are gathered. The Greek used there is a phrase. It's like laos or laos. And it literally means all the people in society are gathered. He's not just appealing to the people that, uh, that follow him, but he's there right in the middle of culture, speaking into it, speaking truth. What does it look like for us to glean from that, for us to, to, to be inspired by that? I find that immensely inspiring. So Jesus is right in the middle of everything, and he's speaking, and, he's, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made a stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Again, let's back up. Who are the Pharisees? Uh, I, I, over the summer, I got to be involved in lots of our all-in services. Um, all-in services, if you're new or you don't know, um, in our 11 o'clock service, we have loads and loads of families and loads of children come along. And because of that, we have children's work. So they go off at, uh, at some point during the service and they get to have fantastic teaching uh, and they get to have fantastic fun. That's a bit more relevant to them. Um, but over the summer, we're a bit, uh, people are away and we go down in number slightly. Uh, and so we have these all-in services, which are great opportunities for the children to stay for the whole service so you've got to make it fun. And when I got to lead some of them, and so you've, you've got to be engaging. They are cutthroat. If you're not keeping their attention, it's going to be a problem. So it's got to be fun, engaging, and what have you. So I learned some lessons from that experience. I want to incorporate it into all of my preaching. So if you've been in church for a while, you've heard of the Pharisees. What would be an audible response Say we were in the panto, and the Pharisees walked on. What would you do? If you know about the Pharisees, what would you do? Yes, come on, yes. In my mind, I was like, are people going to boo? Am I going to have to tell them? To no, you did it. You're amazing. So the Pharisees, come on. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there. Amazing, so good. And they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. She was caught in adultery. See, sometimes when we hear passages, when we hear this passage spoken on, um, it's sometimes called the adulteress, or Jesus meets the adulteress, or an encounter with the adulteress. The Bible doesn't, doesn't phrase it like that. And I don't really like it phrased like that, because she's not an adulteress, she's a woman caught in adultery. It's so subtle. But the point I'm trying to make is, is she's not identified by the thing she did wrong. Because I don't believe God looks at us by the things we've done wrong. He doesn't point at us, point at me, and say, Josh, you're this, this, and this, and this. We do, we do sin. This woman has sinned, but that's not her identity. She is the woman who was caught. 
And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. Caught in the act. What that means, what, what we can maybe assume from that, she's probably naked. Here's a gang of bullies, a gang of men who were there to drag this woman into the temple in front of all of the people in the middle of culture to humiliate her and shame her. They're disgusted with her, and they really want to make it hurt for her. They didn't wait around. If they caught her in the act, they didn't wait around for her to get dressed. It's not clear from that in the scripture, but I think it's not a, it's not a million miles away. It's, not something that we, we, it's something we can easily assume, I think. She's dragged into the temple in front of everybody to be humiliated and shamed. We don't really want to do the all-in thing now, do we? Often in all-ins, we call up volunteers to play parts of the characters of the Bible. I think if we're going to say there's somebody naked, that we can't really do that, can we? So we've left the all-in thing. Don't worry, we've left the all-in thing. They wanted to stone her. Stoning is brutal. You're picking up stones, rocks, bricks, and you're throwing it at somebody until they die. If she's lucky, the the first few will glance off her, um, they'll they'll break her skin, it'll be very painful, uh, uh, and then maybe they'll start to hit her her bones, and maybe that'll start to to even break her bones, and that'll be really painful. But if she's really lucky, one will hit her in the right place in the head, and she'll be knocked out. And maybe she won't feel the pain as much anymore. But they'll keep throwing until she's dead. I'm sorry, it's really brutal for early on a Sunday morning. But that's the reality of what they wanted to do to her. They wanted to throw bricks at her until she was dead. They were, they were filled with hate. They were probably holding the stones and the rocks ready to go. They were filled with hate. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped stooped down and wrote on the ground. The first thing Jesus does is he ignores them. He ignores them. He's not going to get swept up in this rabble, in this this noise, in this riot that's come and interrupted him. He's not going to get swept up in that. He bends down, starts to write or draw. The Greek is, it means to write or draw. He's, he's drawing on the ground. He's doing something on the ground. And they're chanting, shouting at him to kill her. And they're demanding. They're trying to trap him. What should we do? Should we do this? You see, there's been lots of discussion about what, what is Jesus doing on the ground? Is he writing down their names and next week writing down their sins? Uh, is, is it an image of God coming down to our level, into our muck, to, to draw, to make things right, to write a new story? I'm sure all of those things are true and all of those things ring truth. But we're not told. The writer of the story hasn't made it clear, doesn't seem to think it matters too much. Therefore, I don't think it matters too much. I think also if I'm going to think that this woman's naked and trying to be shamed and humiliated, Jesus is probably saving her the humiliation. He's not going to look at her body like that everybody else is. He's not going to point at her like everybody else is. He's not going to see her in her worst and her utter moment of embarrassment. He's not going to do that. I also think he's a man and he's sinless, but not without temptation. I think he probably doesn't want to check out a naked woman in her vulnerability. So he's keeping righteous and he's keeping up to the task. 
But he rises and says the famous line, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's the famous, famous line. She's brought before him a sinner who sinned. He's not shocked by it. They are. He's not. Because he knows they're sinners. She's a sinner. She sinned. They're sinners. They sinned. This is going to be pretty simple. Uh, My friend Alice, she's got a boyfriend. He's a great guy. He's called Matt. He runs uh, uh, 10Ks all the time really, really fast. He's a runner. And because whenever I see him running, I think, oh, look, there's Matt. He's running. And that's not surprising because he's a runner and runners run. Right. And sin is sin. Jesus isn't shocked by her. Jesus isn't shocked by her story. In fact, he's doing something really powerful. He's leveling the playing field. Because as we know from this story, what starts to happen is one by one, the Pharisees and the people, the rabble, the riot, they start to leave. In the Passion of Christ, this scene actually takes place. Uh, And it's a little bit um, different from the Bible, uh, which is interesting. But uh, it's a strange moment where the woman ends up being Mary Magdalene and and all sorts. Um, But there's a great moment in the scene in the film where uh, the Pharisees, um, this moment takes place and they start to... They start to drop their stones and their bricks. It's like, ah, just one by one. Ah, ah, they're up here ready. Ah, and the bricks fall to the ground. It's like all their hate and all their malice and all their judgmental attitude. They were ready to be judged, jury, and executioner on that day. And all of that was encapsulated in these rocks in their hands. And just as, just as heavy and horrible as they are, they start to fall from their hands one by one as they realize their own sin. I don't think they were all adulterers. I think they all sinned on many different way, in many different ways. And what Jesus is doing is he's leveling the playing field. Her sin isn't, as, isn't worse than your sin. It's the same. It's sin. And you're all sinners who sin. Jesus is saying there's only one person who has the right to condemn in this story. And it's the one who's sinless. And he asks her, has anyone stayed around to condemn you? And she says, no. And then he says what I think is the really famous line. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your lifestyle of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus was the only one qualified to pick up a stone and cave her head in, according to the law of Moses. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. You see, he didn't scrap the law. He fulfilled the law because he became it in all of its entirety and yet offered the hand of grace. He says, neither do I condemn you. That's the very story of the Gospels. That is the very story of the Gospels. Neither do I condemn you. You see, I'm so glad that the, pl- the, the, the playing field has been leveled out. I'm so glad that Jesus is holding out his hand and saying, neither do I condemn you. Because you might be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, but you don't know what my sin's like. You don't know what my shame's like. You don't know the stuff that I've done in my life. Uh, some of these people, they haven't been to the places I've been. But Jesus is saying, I'm leveling the playing field. 
And what I would say to that is I would challenge that because I find hope in here. Because if you want to talk about sexual impurity, I've been there. You want to talk about lust, I've been there. You want to talk about sex before marriage, I've been there. You want to talk about drinking drugs, I've been there. Lying, cheating, stealing, uh, fighting and anger, I've been there. I've been there. And sometimes I go back to those places. I'm a sinner who sins. But I find hope in this passage because I find the hand of grace. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. He offers me the hand of grace. And in the very same breath, he says, now go and leave this lifestyle that you've been caught up in. He offers truth grace and truth. He says, go and live a transformed life. Go and live life in all of its fullness. Two chapters later in this gospel, he's going to be saying those very words, I have come that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. That's his heart. That's the message of the gospel. He wants you to know that you are forgiven if you seek forgiveness, that your sin has been leveled out, that he has taken on the punishment. He has taken on the execution. Jesus is judge, jury, and giver of life and says, I give you back your life. I don't condemn you, but I want you to live transformed. He's not setting an impossible standard for the woman. He's not expecting that she would go away and become perfect. That's not what's happening. When you come to faith and follow Jesus, he doesn't expect that you're going to get it right. Why? Because we're sinners and we sin. He knows that. But what he's saying really powerfully here is where once your lifestyle was, was, was marked by sin, your lifestyle now is going to be marked by my grace that I've given to you. And it's going to be marked by forgiveness. And you're going to seek to live a transformed life separate from where you, the way you used to live. You're going to live instead of in a lifestyle that leads only to death and execution. You're going to live a lifestyle now that leads to life and life in all of its fullness. That is the gospel. But how on earth do we do that? How on earth do we do that? How do we live and leave our lifestyle of sin? How do we do that? How do we live knowing the grace of Jesus? Well, it actually comes in the verse after our passage. In verse 12... Jesus says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. You want to know how to live this lifestyle, knowing the grace of Jesus and living out the truth that he's offered us. Living a transformed life, you've got to follow Jesus. At the church, we try. That, that's our primary business. We want to encourage people to follow Jesus. So we hold services together, where we get together. We confess our sins to one another, as we did in our liturgy. We pray for one another. We meet up in connect groups midweek to support one another, to talk about the stuff of life, to ask questions, to wrestle, uh, to to celebrate, to, to be alongside one another. We serve our city together in babies and toddlers or soul food or alpha or whatever's going on. We play our part. We come together. 
It's all because we want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, we can really help you in that. If you've never done it before, we can really help you in that because we believe that following Jesus leads to the path of grace and truth, life in all of its fullness. That's how we follow Jesus and we want to help you with that wherever you're at this morning. And lastly, this is what I want to finish on. And this is perhaps our most important how. It's the why. Why on earth does Jesus offer grace and truth? Why on earth is this the message of Jesus? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. God loves you. You are loved. Every single part of you, every fiber of your being, he knit you together. He's not waiting for you to to live a sinless life. He loves you right now. He loves you in your mess. He loves you at your worst. He loves you when you are naked and ashamed and caught in the very act of the worst thing you've ever done. He loves you. He loves you when all the crowds are pointing at you, shouting, stone, stone, stone. He loves you. He loves you when you don't think you deserve to be loved. He loves you. He loves you when you feel like you're at your best. When you feel like you're living life to its full already. When you feel like you've got everything you ever could possibly need. Jesus has got more for you. He's got life in all of its fullness. Nothing in the world offers you that. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you to know more of his love. He loves you. That's the why. So this morning, I want you to take that away. I want you to know in your heart that you're loved by God. And I want that to transform your life. I want you to know his grace and know his truth. I want you to know that no sin is too dark or too deep. That he's there and he loves you. And he wants to take the burden off of your shoulders. I want you to know that the church is here to serve you in how you follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you were alive and you were doing stuff in us today. God, I thank you for the truth of your grace. And I thank you for the power of your truth. God, that you call us to be forgiven and know that there is no condemnation. But you also say, as much as you say, come as you are, you also say, but don't stay there. Live a transformed life. Live life to the full. Don't stay in your your cycle and lifestyle of sin, but come to life and know life in all of its fullness. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Help us to live that way. Help us to follow you. Help us to turn to the church in all of the ways uh, that we help to follow Jesus. Help us to, to turn to that. Give us the boldness to sign up to what we need to sign up for. Give us the strength to come forward for prayer ministry whether we've got things to celebrate or whether we've got hardships that we need to hear your voice in. God, be with us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.